This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 ESPN. Good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, on a beautiful Saturday morning here in downtown Fresno. Boy, amazing what a little rain will do to help clear up the air and make this a beautiful place to live. Um, This hour is being brought to you by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is to provide you, our listeners, the real facts, the real stats about our market. We want you to, to make good, informed decisions. And my personal goal is next time we have a real estate downturn, Fresno and the Central Valley cities will not be anywhere near the top 10 in foreclosures. And that's because we're going to learn enough to make some good, sound decisions. And every week we get to have the benefit of pulling in our resources, which is our members. And today we got a special guest who's going to help us out. And he might be a little bit nervous, but I've told him that, hey, this is not as bad as testifying in front of Congress. So um, good morning, Kevin Brown. I understand you're on the line. Yeah, good morning, Don. Good morning. So let me tell you a little bit about Kevin. Kevin's been in the real estate business almost 40 years, I believe. Is that right? That's right. And lives in Oakland, works in Oakland, uh, very active for many years in the realtor organization, both at the his local, state, and national levels. Um, and, of course, you learned all the disciplines by playing football at Santa Clara University, right? <laughs> well, Don, I only played there for like a year and a half. I had a, a back injury, and unfortunately, my little football career was cut short. All right, but you did learn enough about discipline. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, there is a big thing that has come out the past year, and um, Kevin represented the National Association of Realtors to Congress. So when I said this isn't going to be as bad as Congress, I was setting the table because you did. Uh, On behalf of the National Association of Realtors, Kevin Brown testified to Congress regarding the effects of the Tax Reform Act uh, on home ownership. So um, tell us, first of all, what is the Tax Reform Act and, um, and how did we get involved as realtors? Well, Don, um, you know, this, this goes back in, in uh, early 2017. Uh, you know, we had a, a relatively new administration, and uh, it was Republican-controlled. And the Republicans wanted to do tax reform. And um, one of the ways that they want, wanted to suggest that they pay for tax reform is taking away some of the benefits that we've had and cherished um, uh, in, in, in our real estate industry for over 100 years. And uh, so fast forward to the end of 2017, um, I testified uh, on GSC reform, but also tax reform before the bill was put into place. And what we were fighting for is to keep our uh, the mortgage interest deduction, uh, which was brought down to what they were wanted to do is bring it down to $500,000 from a million to $500,000. And uh, the mortgage interest rate deduction is something that we've had for over 100 years. It was unlimited until they did tax reform in 1987. And after that, they put a million-dollar cap on it. 
and then uh, it has not been touched for the last 30 years. And so now they were talking, the Congress was talking about bringing it down to $500,000. And of course, for the high-priced states, a $500,000 home is nothing. I mean, the, the, the median in a lot of areas is higher than $500,000. So, so in the Bay um, Area, where you're from, uh, what, what's a typical price there or a typical mortgage? Well, if, if you're, um, say, in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's 900 and some odd thousand dollars. Uh, if, if you're across in, uh, the bridge in San Francisco, the median price is about $1.6 million. And in the area where my office is, the neighborhood, the median is about $1.2 million. So it's, it's well over that $500,000 mark. But I guess my point is, uh, through NAR, the National Association of Realtors, we negotiated that one um, uh, part of the tax reform, we were able to get it up to $750,000. Well, that helped. It, and if but, you, that helped. And if you think about this, if it was uh, unlimited for decades, then in, you said 1986, 87? 87. Uh, 87. It was uh, lowered to $1 million, but that was in 1987 dollars. That's I, right. Yeah. Um, I know that our median price has tripled just here in the Central Valley since 1987. That's right, and it's even appreciated more in other areas uh, since 1987. And of course, uh, maybe their thought was, well, you know, uh, it would never cross that threshold, um, but it, it has, and very rapidly. In California, we have a huge supply and demand imbalances, and um, we have not built housing in 40 years. Basically, and the population's doubled over that same period of time. So, um, you know, we had significant headwinds in terms of um, uh, barriers to to new construction. Uh, uh, There was uh, NIMBYism, um, which is not in my backyard. There were a lot of property owners that did not want to see housing developments happen. Uh, Local government and state government were not allowing houses to be built, and they were not complying with their housing element law. And um, and then there was CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Act, which a lot of people use as a weapon not to build new construction. So uh, new construction was very flat for a 40-year period. They are building now, but we've built up a structural deficit of housing, lack of housing. And it's going to be hard to overcome that in the next several years, especially with a growing population. So what you're saying is for 40 years... California has not met the needs of ho- uh, the needs of housing because of the lack of building. That is correct. That yeah. is correct. And over that same period of time, our population has gone from about 22 million um, people to about 40 million people. So it's almost doubled over that same period of time. Mm-hmm. Can that be said nationwide too? Uh, no. Um, in other states, um, there, there are you know varying circumstances in terms of supply and demand in other states and in a lot of other states the housing costs are still low but if you look at uh, California New York um, New Jersey uh, those are some of the high price housing states and this tax reform uh, is going to hurt those states the most I see so why did the National Association of Realtors get so involved in this? I mean, to, to send you back there. And by, and by the way, I do have to mention, the National Association of Realtors is 1.3 million members. 
you got to feel good that they chose you to represent them. Yeah, I mean, I, I was. Um, they were looking for somebody to testify uh, before Congress. Um, uh, usually, a lot of times, the president of the National Association of Realtors would testify. But I think they they had a, a previous engagement. They were tied up, and they were looking for somebody from a high-priced state like California, where we have the biggest market in the United States. We're one of the biggest economies in the United States, and they wanted somebody from California. And I had served on uh, a tax reform task force um, to come up with some solutions to the Tax Cut and Jobs Act in terms of taking some of the incentives away from home ownership. And so since I had that experience and I was a previous president of the California Association of Realtors, I, I believe that's why they chose me. Well, I, I hope you don't feel too bad, but they did ask me if I would do it. I told them I had a haircut appointment that day. I think they then went over to you, Kevin. I think you're right. I'm sure they came to you first. Yeah, but that haircut appointment was very important. I couldn't miss it. So. That's more important than testifying in front of Congress, I know, Don. <laughs> All right. But, yeah. but let, me, let me just get back to um, some of the elements of tax reform and how it's impacted or negatively impacted real estate. So there's the MID that they brought down from a million to $750,000. And then there's what's known as assault, the state and local taxes, which they capped off at uh, $10,000. So when you pay your property taxes, you can only write off $10,000 of those property taxes. Anything over $10,000 uh, you're going to have to pay a tax on. And then uh, the other thing was doubling of the standard deduction. Uh, we've always had the incentive uh, of property ownership um, by allowing people to write off their interests and so forth. But by doubling the standard deduction, renting is almost the same as purchasing a house now. There's, there's no difference in terms of tax incentives, and that's really hurt our market. I see. So actually, there were three things that really impacted home ownership. There would be the mortgage interest deduction cap, SALT, the state and local tax cap, and then um, uh, what was your third one there? It was it, it was doubling of the standard deduction. Ah, so right. renters can, um, can get an automatic deduction uh, across the country for $24,000 right off the bat. And what basically what that does, uh, the, way, the way to look at that is it destroyed the incentive value of the itemized deduction, which was designed to encourage certain types of behavior like buying a house. Mm -hmm. And we strongly feel that um, buying a house is one of the best ways to enter the middle class. You know, it's benefited Americans for decades. And if you get a uh, uh, safe mortgage and you... Uh, hold on to that house and you don't have to sell in a down market, um, you're building wealth. It's a way of building wealth and building generational wealth that you can pass on to your kids as well. You know, when I work with a first-time home buyer, I've always made that a part of my conversation with, with a first-time home buyer to talk about the mortgage interest deduction and explain to them. And I remember drawing out a little picture of a, a paycheck with the withholdings on there. And I was mm -hmm. showing them how with by buying a home, you can actually get a raise on your paycheck without getting a raise from your boss. Uh, you can bring home more money. And I said, now, why would the government do that? It's because they want to encourage home ownership because there's a lot of benefits as far as society. Uh, That's home, right. Yeah. 
Uh, we, we, you know, we see home ownership is is a ladder. I mean, you start off as a first time home buyer. That's the bottom rung of the ladder, and then you, uh, the next house you buy, you're the move up buyer, and the next rung of the ladder mm-hmm. might be a second home or a vac- vacation retirement home. Um, so those are the rungs of the ladder in in, in terms of um, uh, building wealth and. There's also all the other benefits. It's also about building communities. You own a home, you're you're invested in it, you care about what the home looks like, so you're going to spend money, and it contributes to the economy. You pay your taxes, so you're much more interested in the community and where those tax dollars are going, so you're much more engaged at the local level and, and also the state level. So, you know, home ownership isn't just about living in a house. It's also about building communities, and we strongly support that. Yeah, and it does create, when you buy a home, I notice that people immediately start hanging out at the hardware store because they're making this improvement, <laughs> that improvement, and that creates jobs, um, it, and it's got a ripple effect. It does. It does. Um, you know, the in, in nationally, homeownership and all the ancillary, you know, services and, and construction contribute about 17% uh, to GDP. In California, it's 20%. It's a huge part of the economy, wow. a huge part. Okay, I haven't heard that statistic before. So in California, 20% of the gross domestic product comes from the rip from home ownership and its ripple effect. Yes, yes. Wow, 20% it's is huge. a big chunk. It, it's huge. I mean, even 17% of... Of a 18 or 19 trillion dollar economy, uh, looking nationally, I mean that that's a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. It is time for our first commercial break, um, Kevin. I hope you stay t- uh, stay on the line because we're going to get back to you in just a few minutes. But uh, absolutely, absolutely. All right. well, uh, thank you for tuning in to Welcome Home Radio. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And on the line, we have Kevin Brown, who is a director at the national level and the state level for the Association of Realtors. And Kevin testified in front of Congress on behalf of the National Association of Realtors. Kevin, i got to ask you, personally, what did that feel like? testifying in front of Congress. I mean, we've, we've all seen it on TV and in the movies. It doesn't look like a friendly crowd, but but how was it? Uh, you, you know, Don, it's it's really an interesting experience. I've, I've testified when uh, Republicans were in control, and I've testified when, when Democrats were in control. And, um, you know, depending on what the subject matter is or who is in favor of what, there's always going to be part of the room that's against you and part of the room that's for you. But, um you know, I, the, so a lot of these issues uh, I feel very strongly about, uh, and it, it's it's just a great experience to be there. But, you know, I'm laser-focused on the issues and uh, representing the best interests for consumers and for realtors. So um, I'm really not focused on, on, boy, what if they ask me something that I can't answer or being nervous. I'm really focused on... Uh, talking about the issues that are important to consumers and, and to realtors in general. And that's what I do. Okay, I, I like that. You're laser-focused on the issue that affects the consumers. And um, 
So, the, you know, the next question I was going to ask you, and that kind of leads right into it, is is that um, who does this benefit? The consumers, the realtors, and if it's the consumers, why are we doing that as an organization for consumers? Well, one one of the things that we realized a long time ago, if we look after the consumer, if we protect the consumer, we're really looking after ourselves. And so we became a consumer-centric organization, realtors in general at the state, local, and national level. And so our focus is on uh, home ownership, building communities, and um, and protecting real property rights. And in, in, in having that focus and in putting forth that energy, we are, in fact, protecting ourselves and protecting our industry. I see. So, um, you know, there's a lot of organizations out there that sell real estate in one form or another that are not realtors. So they may not have that same laser focus of trying to protect the consumer. No, I mean, there, there are, yes, and, but, but we've led the way uh, in, in most real estate, um, uh, on, on most public policy concerning real estate, um, you know, we've, we've always led the way. We have the members, we have the resources, we have the money to do it, and so uh, a lot of times it's left up for us to do. And some of the smaller organizations, they just don't have the lobbying power and, and the ability to do what we do. Okay, and earlier in the show, you mentioned that um, you were on a, a committee that dealt with GSE reform. First of all, tell oh, yeah, us what yeah. GSE is and tell us why we needed reform. Well, the, the GSEs are the government-sponsored enterprises, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, and what they do is they participate in the secondary mortgage market. When you go out and get a bank to a bank and you get a loan, um, unless it's a portfolio loan that's being held by the bank, that bank will sell the loan to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, those loans have to meet certain requirements, uh, and, and then those loans are purchased by them, and it creates liquidity uh, so that those banks can then turn around and make more loans. So it's a very important part of the market. It's, it's the mortgage market uh, before the crash was about $12 trillion, and then I think it shrunk to nine, and now it's back up. But uh, that's a lot of money, uh, and, uh, and, you know, during the crash, it's one of the components uh, or one of the factors involved in the, cash, in the crash were uh, the GSEs and the banks vying for a piece of that pie. And unfortunately, during, during that period of time, some very bad loans were made, primarily by the banks. Um, and we've since, you know, regulated, and you, you don't see loans like that being made anymore, but... Um, the, the GSEs are a very important part of purchasing a home. Not everybody has cash, and if you can't finance a house, you can't, uh, you can't buy one. So these GSEs, after the crash, were placed in a conservatorship, and there's been numerous um, proposals to, for them to reform and come out of conservatorship but it's, uh, it's, it's very political. It's a political and ideological football that's been going back and forth between, uh, you know, Democrats and Republicans, and uh, they do make a lot of money. They've been taken over by the government. All that money is swept to the Federal Reserve or to the Treasury, and um, there's not a lot of motivation to bring them out of conservatorship. But there's been some serious talks over the years. I can go on and on, but go, go ahead. If you, do you have another question about them? Yeah. Um, when did the GSEs 
Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Jenny Mae, when did they come into prominence? Well, you know, they, they were formed um, uh, by FDR. Um, it, it was it was part of the New Deal, and so they've been around for a very long time. And uh, really, I mean, that they have contributed significantly to uh, home ownership. Um, and, and I think that government, federal policy, as well as state policies, they have supported home ownership for a very long time. And they real, realize and understand the benefits of home ownership up until tax reform. Now it seems like government has kind of changed their mind about supporting home ownership, and that's what we're really concerned about. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. But I'm wondering, is there a correlation between the 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 market share that the governments, um, the GSEs have, uh, in, compa- in is there a correlation to lower interest rates? Because I know I became a loan officer back in 81, 82, and rates were 17.5%. Um, I wasn't a loan officer for very long. There wasn't much business there. But, um, you know, now we've got rates that are well below 5 and have been for some time. So is there a correlation? Well, there is a correlation. I mean, the Federal Reserve has intervened to bring interest rates down to stimulate the economy, especially after the recession. Um, And they have uh, indicated that they don't want to do anything to shock the economy. And so, you know, according, if you listen to the economists, and what the Fed chair is saying, they don't anticipate increasing rent rates uh, at a significant level anytime soon because it might dan- damage the economy. But in terms of Fannie and Freddie, uh, these GSEs, um, they do uh, help provide stable, low interest rate mortgages to consumers. And they, th- those loans are subsidized in a way by the government and the fact that the government gives a guarantee. Um, these loans, after uh, they're made to by Fannie and Freddie, were um, made by the bank and then purchased by Fannie and Freddie. Fannie and Freddie securitizes those those loans, those mortgages. They're, they're called mortgage-backed securities, and then they sell them in another market to uh, pension funds, to foreign governments, to whoever wants to buy them, um, to Wall Street, whoever wants to buy them. They're they're packaged and sold. And uh, that government guarantee ensures that those securities are protected and that they're going to be repaid. So in doing that, it, it provides uh, the stability of a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage at, at a uh, reasonable rate of interest. Now, this was just left up to the banks to make these loans. I don't even know if banks have the capacity to do what Fannie and Freddie are doing. But if it's just left up to them, then we would probably have higher interest rates. And we may not have a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. Yeah, I'm almost sure we wouldn't have that long-term fixed-rate mortgage because um, I know I, I've got a portfolio loan before, and they told me it's only good for five years. They can amortize it over 30 or 20 or interest only, whatever I wanted, but it was doing. They couldn't go beyond five years. That's right. That's right. Of course, five years later, they were begging me to continue on, but <laughs> <laughs> at a higher interest rate, right? Well, I got lucky at that point. Rates had really dropped. So okay, I said, good for you. Yeah, I said, well, you know, I would consider it, but got to lower the rate. But but it was good really neat because it was a community bank, a, a local community bank, and um, we were able to 
it was like a relationship. It's like, well, you know, I'll do this, but can you do that? And yeah. and it really yeah. worked out. And that brings me to our next subject, which is uh, um, you and I work together at the National Association of Realtors on the Conventional Finance Committee. And, That's right. Yes. Yeah. You, you remember me over there in the back of the room? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, uh, we we had a working group that was set up to look into community bank regulatory relief. It became it came to the point where the regulations were so tough that small banks, small lenders, had to get out of business. Um, they couldn't put up with it. In fact, the bank I dealt with said they totally got out of residential lending because of all the regulations. He said he would have had to hire one to two extra full-time employees um, for compliance, strictly. Um, not a production part of it, just for compliance. And it, they, they would have had to raise their rates tremendously to cover that cost. So they got out of it. However, um, through the efforts of the National Association of Realtors and our committee, we were able to get a Senate bill passed. Yes. And that was, let's see, Senate Bill 2155, called the Community Bank Regulatory Relief Bill. So smaller banks did, didn't have to comply to the same level that your mega lenders do. And uh, the mega lenders being Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and, and those places. So yeah. uh, it, it's really neat to see how the system works and how... It probably started off with an idea from someone in our committee that said, hey, we need to do this, and worked worked it through the process. It, it is. I mean, it's really wonderful to see how things happen at the at NAR, at the committee level, and then um, either, uh, you know, we can approach a regulator and maybe get a change, or we can uh, get a congressman or senator to sponsor a bill see it through a committee, and then see that bill signed into law. It's, it's just That's the thing that a lot of consumers uh, and a lot of people do not see. It's just how hard that work is behind the scenes and how it goes, and sometimes in a very short period of time, if, especially if it's emergency-type situation like flood insurance or something like that. There have been times when we've gotten things through very quickly, uh, even when both sides of Congress were fighting. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's 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 really a wonderful thing to see that and to know that um, that you had some input and that you were involved in that. So and you said you can go to a regulator. So not everything has to be passed by a new piece of legislation. Sometimes the reg um, the bureau can change it, right? Or the department. that's right. And you know, one of the hardest things to do is to lobby a regulator. Um, they're, they're beholding to no one, uh, and except for maybe the people that appointed them. But in, in, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, if something is really detrimental to the market, to consumers, then you can uh, talk to them, and they will uh, make some changes. And we have done that in the past. Mm -hmm. I think that any time you go through what we just went through back in 2008 uh, to 2011 or 12, uh, biggest you know, recession since the Great Depression, biggest financial, you know, crash in, in our lifetimes. Um, the pendulum is going to swing back typically the other direction and too far. And I think that's what happened. And I think that, 
know, things were so strict and so stringent, just like the, the regulations you were talking about with the community bank and those regulations needed to be relaxed. So a lot of times, th those are the times that we can approach the regulators and talk to them and, uh, and hopefully see some changes. Mm -hmm. One final question for you, Kevin, and sure. that is give us your best real estate advice. Regarding? Uh, to a homeowner out there. I mean, is it, well, you know, I, I, home ownership is still alive and well. Um, I think that home ownership has it certainly has benefited my family and every client that I've ever sold to. I think it has benefited them. And uh, there, there's, you know, California uh, used to be a, a homeowner state, and now homeowners are shrinking largely because of the affordability crisis. And I think that um, some incentives need to be put back into the system in order to encourage more homeownership so more people can uh, enter the middle class and climb that economic ladder. I think it has significant benefits to, uh, to the public and, and to America in, in general. So I think that if you can, it's a great time to buy a home. Uh, interest rates are still low. Um, but I, I think that I would promote home ownership. I think it's a very good thing to do, to All be right. involved with. Well, Kevin Brown, thank you very much for taking your time out of this Saturday to um, help inform the whole Central Valley about your thank experiences. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Glad, glad to be here. Ah, thank you. We are going to our next commercial break, so stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 ESPN. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and that was really interesting talking with Kevin Brown. He is really an outstanding human being, and uh, just to know him is you, you got to love the guy. And boy, is he intelligent. Um, I would like to add a little something. This is an opportunity that has come from that that new tax reform bill, and the problem that it's trying to address is that most investors want to invest in really, really great areas, and they sometimes overlook the impoverished areas. So there is a um, new opportunity that, to invest, for, uh, for investors, to invest in some of the uh, lower income, more impoverished areas. What, uh, and this is what it's called. It is the... Um, uh, opportunity zone. Uh, so what? And basically, what that means is, if an investor uh, moves their capital where they would be paying capital gains on it normally, if they sold a property, let's say they sold an investment property in uh, North Fresno, they're going to pay capital gains on that unless they do a 1031 exchange, and then they just defer the tax till a later time if they do the 1031. But if you take that investment, that, that capital gain, and you move it to an opportunity zone, and let me put this geographically, it's done by census tract, so there's no, there's no, I can't just say it's south of McKinley, but it predominantly is south of McKinley here in the uh, Fresno area and along the Blackstone Corridor, and there's some in Clovis, there's... Um, a lot of your valley towns, 
Fowler, Selma, Colinga, they have these opportunity zones. So basically, if you invest, you move your investment to one of those zones, um, you can then, um, not you don't pay capital gains at that time, you can defer it. If you, end, if you keep the property for 10 years or more, when you sell it, you have eliminated capital gains. So there is a big incentive to, to do this. Um, and the idea here is to get people to invest in some of these areas. May, maybe buy a fourplex over um, in the central part of town and, and fix it up. Um, bring the neighborhood up. That's what this opportunity zone is trying to do. And that could be a very big incentive. I recently had a client who sold an investment house, probably ended up with, I think it was close to $100,000 after paying off the loan, but they were going to owe $55,000 in taxes. Well, that's a huge chunk, you know, for for all the the work that that client did, they were going to keep $45,000 and pay $55,000 in tax. Doesn't seem too fair. But had this been around at that time, the, um, that client could have invested in an opportunity zone and after 10 years eliminate that tax. Now, somebody asks the question, is this, has it been around a long time? The answer is no. It just started in December of 2017 when the Tax Reform Act went into effect. It does go by census tract number. Now, I know a lot of people out there are used to identifying areas by school districts, by zip code. Uh, it's been a long, long time since anybody's used census tracts, <laughs> but they're back, and um, I think realtors need to get familiar again with those. I remember back in the 80s, we, we knew census tracts because there was a lot of special financing that would go to particular census tracts. So, it's back, and um, uh, I think, you know, if, if you want to find out more about it, get a hold of your realtor, and, and they can find out this information for you. Uh, it is very new, and it's called the Qualified Opportunity Zones. Um, I'm even going to give you a website here where you can study it if you wanted. Um, where did that go? Well, I'm going to have to, oh, here it is, um, the Opportunity Zones Resources. Uh, it, it, just put that into your, your computer, and, and you should come out with a, um, a lot of information on that. Um, where, are, where is our market at right now? Uh, there's been talk of a shift, and so I pulled some stats, and interesting here, that Prices in 2018, and this is for all of 2018 now, the median price was $275,000. That's up $20,000 from the year before and up $35,000 from two years ago. Here's what's interesting is that in 2007, the median price was $277,000. So 
I've got to say that that 277 was an inflated price, probably brought on by all those crazy loans that we we had 10, 15 years ago. But they're around no more. I, I'm going to say that that 275 median price here in um, the Fresno-Clovis area is a solid, stable number. In fact, here let me give you another interesting stat comparing 2007 to 2018. 2018, we had almost 7,400 sales in the Fresno-Clovis area. Pretty consistent with the last three years, up from the three years from 2013, 14, and 15, because those were in the low 6,000s. But here's what's interesting. 2007, when there was the median price was at its highest, there was only 3,900 sales in the area. So kind of an interesting take there, that in 2007, you had the lowest amount of homes sold by far, and yet the highest price. That's kind of a head-scratcher. With that thought, we're going to go to our next commercial break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about the Veterans Opportunity Program. Thank you. Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. And on the line, we have another very special guest. And as our first guest, Kevin Brown, told you about, the realtors do things that benefit consumers because um, that's what we do. Um, If it's good for the consumer, it's good for all. And so there was a program that has just been started. It's been going now just slightly over 30 days in the Fresno Association of Realtors called the Veterans Opportunity Program. And I'm thinking, okay, who can best describe this? And it finally hit me. Our own Gerard Lozano is the perfect guy. Gerard, welcome. Good morning. All right. Um, so how? tell us how this Veterans Opportunity Program got started. You bet. Um, as you know, uh, the Association of Realtors, and, and Kevin put it very nicely this morning, I caught his... Uh, interview um you know it's not always about uh realtors it's it's always about consumers and 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 the general community at large but uh the veterans opportunity program kicked off on february 4th and what we did locally the fresno association of realtors received a fifty thousand dollar grant from the california association of realtors housing affordability fund a lot of acronyms we have in real estate right don yeah car half far yeah, H A S F A R. So um, we uh, we came up with this program. Uh, it took it a little bit to get it to get it going, but you know, and it's it's making sure everything is correct with the program. But we started this uh, last summer. Yourself, Sandy, Darling, Ken Newfeld, and we had some other local realtors uh, help put this program together. In the fall, we went and presented it to CAR's HAF, which is the Housing Affordability Fund Committee. And, um, you know, it's much like I said, I was explaining it to one of our members this week. It's kind of like a shark tank. You know, you have this idea, you go present it, and the trustees, um, you know, take questions, and we received questions on the program. But long story short, 
we did receive $50,000, and what that will go to is a Veterans Opportunity Program, and the way it works is sellers would enroll their home, has to be under $300,000, has to be a traditional sale, and there's some other guidelines that your local realtor can share with you, but sometimes uh, VA buyers, first-time home buyer veterans, um, sometimes VA loans aren't always looked at in the best light. And, of course, everything has its own stories and things, but I understand after we've gotten this program going, VA loans aren't always not looked upon well, or maybe they are, but there's been some issues. But uh, the $2,000 incentive is for the seller to have a first-time homebuyer veteran with VA financing. Uh, They put the offer in on their home and it closes. The seller has that incentive of $2,000 for selling to that first-time homebuyer veteran. And that's kind of interesting that the money would go to the seller and not the veteran. But if I could give you the realtor side of that, when you tell a buyer about the VA loan program, there is Mm -hmm. practically nothing that they can complain about. I mean, there's no, no money down required. They don't even have to pay closing costs. They can, but they can have the seller pay that already. Um, the there's no mortgage insurance. Um, it's oh the the uh, credit worthiness part of it is a little more lenient than conventional loans. It, so the buyer has no problem saying yes. However, <laughs> the sellers Hopefully. often have a, a problem saying yes. And this may even go back before your time, Gerard, but a lot of it is no longer true. VA loans used to be pretty tough on the sellers back in the 70s, 80s, and maybe about the 90s is when it started turning. And and Mm -hmm. they, they started making it a much more viable product for the seller also. But it's funny how that stigma stays. Well, hey, being a sports fan, you know, there's sports teams out there that just carry the stigma. Gerard, I right? think you're taking a dig at my Dodgers. <laughs> I was thinking about the Raiders, too. Oh, okay. You know, you're over the Raiders, years, yeah. things have gotten better. But for the Dodgers, it really hasn't. <laughs> okay. Back, you know, back to the program. Uh, Thank everybody you. Everybody should, yes, talk to your, speak with your local realtors, our membership um you know, has been has been brought up to speed on the program, and we just did another e-blast this past week explaining, you know, the, the details. And, of course, it might take a few times to get the word out, but I believe currently we've got nine or so listings enrolled in the program. So, again, under $300,000, it has to be a traditional sale. Um, By traditional you know, and, and sale, you mean if it's a bank foreclosure? REOs, short sales, yes, yes. So what? The Housing Affordability Fund didn't want to give $2,000 to a mega bank? Uh, could have been. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, and for the realtors out there listening, um, why not speak with you? Because the, the paperwork and there's addendums and things that have to be sent to the Association of Realtors because we're administering the program. So you, local realtors, when you go out, it has to be signed at the day the listing is taken for your sellers. So that's something very important that we've been having to educate our membership on. So it can't um, be an afterthought. Why not? It cannot be. 
So why not, if you're going on a, a listing appointment under $300,000 and it fits the guidelines, you can go download the paperwork at FresnoRealtors.com and uh, why not give your, your sellers an opportunity to enroll? Um, keep in mind, it's the first 25 successful closings that will qualify for the $2,000 at close of escrow. Now, so the money does go directly to the escrow company. Um, we'll be working hand-in-hand hand once that property hopefully gets to escrow. We contact the com- escrow company and send them additional paperwork. And, um, you know, we've done programs in the past, and and they've worked really well. No, it doesn't slow down your escrow closing period or anything, but uh, communication is the key thing that we all have to keep in mind for this program to be successful. You know, and i got to give you a shout-out. Um I think there's a lot of associations throughout the state of California that have never gone to the Shark Tank or the Housing Affordability Fund to make a request for money. But you seem to have no problem. This is, what, probably your third or fourth go at it, uh, getting funds? Yeah. It doesn't get easier, but, um, you know, equally the, the... The congratulations, if you will, goes to the realtor members of our association that come up with these ideas and um, are standing right, sitting right next to us side by side as we explain the program in detail because, you know, $50,000 is a lot of money to give a local association to administer the program. But, um, you know, that's that's part of our memberships. Um, You know, we talk about community in the real estate world and and the Fresno Association of Realtors is, is definitely entrenched in the community with programs and things not to only enrich realtors, but obviously the public as well. So where does that money come from, that $50,000 from the Housing Affordability Fund? How, how do they get their money? The, the funds are all um, contributions from local realtors. Um, you know, so I believe in the state of California, there's 186,000 realtor members of CAR, the California Association. Um, they accept donations. They make contributions to this program. And the fund, I don't know the exact amount that is in the fund, but I know it's way above $50,000. We're not the only one who received a grant last uh, fall. But that's the other really neat thing for the consumers to hear is this money came from realtors. Okay. You know, a $25 contribution, I'm sure you've done it. I can think of other people in the association that always do annually $100 to the Housing Affordability Fund, and that's what funds these types of local programs for, for the city. So that $50,000 in funds that came to Fresno and goes to Fresno home sellers may have come from a contribution from a realtor in Los Angeles, one in San Francisco, yep. and all over. Up in Reading, up and down the state, yes. Okay, Gerard, we only have about a minute left. But tell why is it three hundred thousand the maximum price? Well, I think I would best let our our uh, realtor answer that question, right? Oh. All uh, right. I'm only the uh, administrator of the program. Yeah. And I don't the, have all my notes for the housing for, affordability fund is for. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bail you out because we're we're just on a few seconds left, but the housing affordability fund is trying to promote affordability. So if, if someone can afford a $700,000 home, they don't want to help them out with $2,000. Um, there you go. And so they put the limit on us of $300,000. Gerard? It's our community. Yeah, that's right. Gerard, thank you for all you do for the Association of Realtors and, in turn, our consumers. 
and we thank you to all our listeners. Talk to you next week.